guys for being here um, this morning. It's the second message in our new series called Fallout. Um, it is uh, it's, it's going to be an awesome series today. Um, we're going to take another level, another look into our friendships and our relationships. And um, I think it's going to be an awesome thing. Um, if, uh, if you just take a second with me, I'm just going to pray for just a few seconds and just ask God, because I believe this is, when you go through a series like this, you go through a message like this, this is one of those things that that on the outside, and the whole point of the series is really is that we don't really understand how powerful the friendships and the relationships and the connections that we make in this life really are and how much they mean to our life. Um, and, and it's one of those things where you can just hear and you can just listen and you can think, oh, well, that's good or no, I don't like that or whatever, and just go on. And you don't realize that, that the, some of the things we're talking about are some of the most powerful and most imperative things that exist in our life. And I just uh, want us to just to pray and to ask God to just open up our hearts and our minds to what he has to say to us this morning. Uh, if you'll join me, that'd be awesome. Father God, I just want to thank you so much, Lord, just for everything you've done already. God, I want to thank you just for the opportunity we have to just come in here together freely and just worship you and, and just praise you with song, God. It's just an awesome, awesome feeling, Father. And I, I thank you, Father, just for the word um, that you've, you've given me to share this morning. God, I pray, Lord, that you just let your spirit be with us, God, that you empty me completely out, Father, of anything that is of me, anything that is of, of my mind. God, just let your word just flow this morning. God, I pray that you open up the hearts and the minds of everybody in this room, God. Just speak deep to us this morning, Lord God. And I, I thank you, Father, for all that you will, you will do uh, in your holy and your precious name. Amen. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I hated to read. It was just one of those things. I just could not stand to read. I, and I didn't really start reading. Um, and I, I don't think there was, I don't really know when the point happened that I started to like to read. I think that when I was in college, I started reading a lot out of necessity because I had to. And then I started reading a lot of like leadership books and different things like that, knowing that I would be heading into, you know, church you know, work and, and, and leadership and different things like that. And so I kind of developed a habit of reading. And then it just became a part of my life. One of the things that I like to do is I'll go to Barnes and Nobles and I'll get something that's just jack full of caffeine and I'll sit over in a corner and just read for a while and it's a lot cheaper that way because you don't really have to pay for the books. You read the knowledge, uh, get it, take it, leave it, and then go watch a movie. So it's really cool. It's a really good way to, to uh, spend an afternoon if your wife goes to Chattanooga all the time. So anyway, she's uh, my, Courtney's in Chattanooga with her family. I got a little bored yesterday. But um, so anyway, one of the things that I've, one of the books that I've read, my favorite authors over time is a guy named Malcolm Gladwell. He's, a, he's actually a, a solid Christian man. Um, he doesn't necessarily write Christian literature, but um, he writes leadership books and social environment books and different things like that. And one of the books that he wrote um, is called The Tipping Point. It's one of his older books. He's written some that are honestly 10 times better since then. Um, but this is just one book that he wrote called The Tipping Point. And, and he defines, he's the one that kind of, you may have heard this in the business world or if you're in any type of, uh, um, especially like um, social you know, work or different things like that, you may have heard the idea of tipping point. Um, but tipping point, Malcolm defines it as this. Just go ahead and skip the next slide that I already missed. Go ahead and go to the next one. That's our mentality for the thing. He says, the tipping point is that magic moment when an idea, trans social behavior or movement crosses a threshold, tips, and spreads like wildfire. Now, we've all seen this at work, and we don't even really realize it. Like one of the, has everybody heard of, the, it's one of my favorite bands, some of you may not have heard of them, but you ever heard of the band Matchbox 20? Matchbox 20 with Rob Thomas. It's, I know, well, they're not Christian. I'm not going to raise my hand. Listen, I, they're one of my favorite bands of all time. I listened to them growing up. I still like them today. If they came to Charlotte, I'd probably go to the concert. I'm sorry. It's just what I would do. So anyway, I like Matchbox 20. One of the things Matchbox 20 did, they kind of, in the beginning, they're a very quiet group. They're not crazy. They're not like, you know, some bands that they're just, they're really good at music. They're really passionate about their lyrics. And they kind of showed up on the scene um, in, in the late 90s and early 2000s, almost out of nowhere, um, and then just became this world class 
class band, and, and they were known for not being known. I mean, that was just one of those things where they came from nowhere. And we see bands like this all the time. We, we hear a song on the radio, and, and we'll think, you know, where'd they come from? And, and we, we start kind of having this term like an overnight sensation. You've heard that before, overnight success. But a lot of people don't know that most of these bands, especially Matchbox 20, Rob Thomas was actually, uh, came from a very, very, very poor family, and he was actually homeless for three or four years, and he started to write music in his early teens, um, and he started traveling around honky-tonks and bars and different things like that, and, and playing his music and writing, and, and he actually put the band, the core of Matchbox 20 together in his uh, early, uh, or his late teens, and they started traveling for years and years and years and years, living out of cars, and, uh, and had played, I think, hundreds and hundreds of shows prior to one song that hit the radio called Real World. And when Real World hit the radio, it seemed like in 24 hours, they were like the, the new number one you know, rock band, alternate rock band that kind of existed in the late 90s, early 2000s, and they still dominate um, a lot of, the, of, of that market. They still play sold-out shows, and it just kind of came out of nowhere. But they actually toured for nine years prior to that moment when their song hit the radio, and then they became an overnight sensation. We see this in bands all the time. We see this in businesses all the time. We see uh, something like I've just kind of got introduced to in the last year or so because of the teenagers, the Enos. Enos are these hammocks uh, that kind of, you just hook them up the trees, you get inside them, you swing back and forth. It sounds dumb, but it's really amazing and relaxing. So Enos are like this thing that's just kind of come up in the last few years, and everybody thinks like this Enos is this new thing. I didn't know this, but Enos have been around since the 90s. It just took 15 years for them to become an overnight success. And so he, Malcolm Gladwell, he starts to study these trends. I mean, he studies these behaviors, and he studies this idea of the tipping point, and he looks at the things that take you to that place in your life or take you to that place um, in a movement or a trend to where it seems like all of a sudden, you know, you work so hard to get to the top of the hill, and then the snowball effect happens, and it just seems like all of a sudden things just get easy. All of a sudden things just take off. All of a sudden you're a success. All of a sudden you are who you were trying to be. All of a sudden, and it just seems like that. And a lot of us in a, kind of put it in our perspective, perspective, working out is a lot like this. You can, you can really work out and you can really eat right for several months without seeing any real development. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you've, been, you've created these, these, uh, this work and this time. And all of a sudden, it seems like you just hit it and you, and you lose weight or you get stronger. And it just seems like that. And it's because it's these, in these ideas. And he said, listen, he said, a lot of people think these overnight sensations uh, or these tipping points in businesses or social movements or environments or, or whatever it is. He says, people, they have in their mind that it's like these huge these big decisions that get you to this place, these big decisions that get you to this tipping point, these big decisions that get you to this success or to get you to the destination you're trying to head. And he said, in reality, it has nothing to do with the big decisions. And one of the things that he uses in the book, I think it's just an amazing thing. Um, and, and some of you are a little older than me, so you may remember this, but do you remember when like the late 80s, that when like crime was just on the rise in America, it was like when the fall of John Gotti and the gangsters and, and you know, and all of that. I don't know if you guys, I love the mafia. It's just, if I wasn't going to preach here, I'd probably be in the mafia. I just love, I've always, I've always loved the mafia. But, you know, they have these late 80s, this, this gang violence and these, 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 you know, sophisticated, wealthy gangsters and, and just crime was on the rise all over America. And so there was this huge push uh, to, to get it back down and to go back down. And, and they blamed it on four big reasons. Um, and the two main ones, they said there's not enough schools and there's not enough prisons. 
That was kind of what the government came up with. They said, there's not enough schools, so there's too many kids in each classroom, and, and everybody, the kids aren't getting enough attention, so they're not learning well, and we don't know the needs, and, and, and if we built bigger schools, then crime would go down, and, and the prisons aren't big enough, so people aren't staying their full sentence, and, 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 and so there's more people out on the street with criminal minds, and, and, you know, and they go on this, and there was a few other things, these big, kind of these big deals, and so a lot of cities started to invest billions of dollars in building schools and adding budgets of teachers and adding jails, and what they noticed was that nothing was really changing, except for in New York City was the first city where crime started to go down in a huge, quick pace. But New York City wasn't building schools and they weren't building jails. New York City was doing one very unique thing, and it started off with this right here. New York City set aside in their budget millions of dollars to replace all of the broken windows in the city, even abandoned buildings. They went throughout all of the city and they started to replace all the broken windows. And the next thing they did is they went to the, they went to the subways and they erased all, they painted over or replaced anything that had graffiti on it. All over the subway trains themselves and the subway environment. And then they went to the alleyways next. And they spent millions of dollars going into the alleyways and cleaning the alleyways up and making, putting nice little, you know, green, you know, plants and, and making everything nice all over the inside of the city. And they kept doing very small things like this. And what they did was, and this was kind of the point of, of Malcolm's book, what he, they did was they started doing all of these very small things that changed the environment and the culture. And over time, people started to take pride in the city, and it just set this movement. And all of a sudden, crime started to decrease in New York City, and it has actually not ever gone back up from that point. Other cities from that point on, a lot of people didn't know this. I didn't know this. That's why you should read. A lot of, a lot of cities at that point started to mimic what New York was doing to change the culture. And, and, and when they started to change the culture, they saw that crime went down, and now crime has gone way down um, over the last 25 years, not just because of that, but that was a huge point in that. And, and, and he basically creates this, this idea, and he says, we think in our heart and we think in our minds that it's the big decisions that affect the destinations in our life. It's the big decisions. It's, it's the huge things. It's the huge moments. And what his whole book is really about is just this, and I kind of reworded it myself, but it's just this. It's not the biggest but the smallest actions and decisions that make the biggest difference in our life. And there's one very small chapter that he writes about, one very small section that he writes about relationships and how invalidly important relationships are to someone's life and the direction that they go in life. And he said, and he, and he kind of put it in like this. He said, listen, what you don't understand, he says, is that you think like the big decision is what altered your life. You think that like, say, signing the divorce papers. You got to that place in your life where you signed the divorce papers, and that was a big moment in your life. That was a huge decision in your life, you and your wife, you and your husband. That was a big decision in your, in your life. And he uses this example, and he says, but the reality of it is, is that it, that probably wasn't the thing that altered your life. What altered your life truly was the decisions that you made early on with the people that you connected yourself with. Because one thing that they've studied on the idea of divorce is that people who are in friend groups or people who are connected to people who they have a mentality, they have a culture in their friend group that divorce is not an option, that we're going to fight through this thing, that we're going to get through this thing, that no matter what comes our way, we're going to fight through this thing. That within that culture of that friend group, that they had that mentality, they accepted the value, and that they went, and that they didn't give up, and so divorce, right, and those, and he says that, that divorce is really when you get around a group of friends where the culture is just, you know what, everybody gets divorced, divorce is just a thing. 
Divorce is just a thing. Everybody, everybody's got a first wife. Everybody's got a first husband. Everybody's got that, that first go around. Every, and that's just the normal thing. It's totally, it's, when you have that, well, that changes your entire thought process. It changes your entire, the way that you think about the situation. So then when you come up to make that big decision that you think is the thing that altered your life, you're actually making a decision based off the culture that was created, based off the friends that you connected yourself with for so many years. Does that make sense? All right, and, and Malcolm actually goes out of his way to give credit to Solomon. And he uses the scripture that's the founding scripture of our series, this series, and it's this right here. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. That's what Solomon says in Proverbs. That's what we talked about last week. So we get to this place, and Malcolm, he, he wants to prove this point, or he wants to show us that what we don't understand about life is that we, as when we connect ourselves with people, just like Solomon says, and Solomon says this about six different ways throughout Proverbs, and then about ten other ways he says something about, about being suffering harm from the companion of fools. And it's basically just what Solomon's point was and what Malcolm's point was is that it matters who you hang out with. That was what we ended with last week. It mattered to Solomon. It mattered to Paul. It matters to God who you connect your life with. And what Malcolm's point was as he was driving, using this scripture and then driving through his point, he says, what you don't understand is, is that when you connect yourself to someone, when you connect yourself um, uh, to a friend group or you connect yourself to somebody at school or you connect yourself to somebody at church or you connect yourself to somebody at work, when you connect through that connection, through that relationship, there is an environment and there is a culture built and that it is absolutely human nature that you will take on the values of the group 100% of the time. You may not take on all the values, but your values will be altered. And then you create this culture of what is right or what is wrong. You create this culture and this environment around and then out of that culture and out of that environment, you make big life decisions. And it's not the decision that got you. It was decisions that you made, the small actions and the small decisions that you made way early on, way back in the day. And the times right now when you're not, everything's good, everything's great, you're connected to who you're connected to, and right now you don't realize that you're involved, some of us are involved in connections and relationships that are creating cultures and environments that are in time, they're going to cause us harm, or in time they're going to cause us to experience fallout in this life. And I think if you all were honest with yourselves, like I have to be a whole lot with myself, is that when you look back at time, sometimes we want to blame this or we want to blame that or we want to say this, we want to say that. But at the end of the day, we connected ourselves to people who created a culture and created an environment that made it okay for me to do whatever it is that I did. That's the power of culture. That's the power of environment. That's the power of relationships. That's the power of friendships. It absolutely matters. It's incredibly important. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. That's what we ended with last week. And, and, and today, I want to I take you just a step further into this idea of friendships, into this idea of the power of friendships. And there's something I want you to, I want you to write this down because it's huge. Every friendship has an initial and foundational unifying factor. Every friendship has an initial and foundational unifying factor. This is something that the Lord just put deep in my heart uh, when I was in college, and I actually wrote a lot about this, and he brought it back to my memory a while back when I was studying for this series. Now, this is something that you're all, this is nothing new. This is nothing mind-blowing. You're going to, you get this, right? Every single relationship you have, there was an initial unifying factor, right? You're in the same class, unifying factor, you're working next to them at your job, unifying factor. You're both in the stage of life. You got, you got kids. You got kids, I got kids. I don't have any kids, but you got kids, I got kids. You're in a unifying life. I don't have kids, you don't have kids. 
unifying factor. I like to work out, you like to work out. I like to play golf, you like to play golf. There's these initial unifying factors that we, we connect to every single person that we know. There's an initial unifying factor. What happens in life, what happens with our group of friends is that whether we're conscious about it or we think about it or we're verbal about it or we talk about it, at the end of the day, there is a foundational unifying factor that exists in this relationship. Sometimes it's just the initial one. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it gets to something different. For example, like this, just to pick on the high school kids for a minute. So like you, you, get into a, you get into a unifying factor. You have an initial. You connect with a guy. You connect with a girl, whatever. And then all of a sudden you find, you know what? The unifying factor with you and your friends is primarily the fact that you like to go out on Friday nights and Saturday nights, get into a field, make a big bonfire, and get drunk. Right? No, you guys, didn't, you guys were all perfect. I didn't know. Sorry. Right, so you think about it. You go back to your friends you had in high school. Maybe you were perfect. You think about what, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was music. Maybe it was bands. The point is, is that with every friendship group, there is a foundational unifying factor that creates the culture that you want to be around, that creates the culture, that creates the environment that you live out of. And this is a statement I want you to understand. The unifying factor of friendship today will dictate what friendship produces in life tomorrow. The, found, the unifying factor, the foundational factor in your friendship group today, it will directly affect what that friendship produces tomorrow in your life. For example, I used it last week. When I got to school, the first group of people that I started to hang out with, there was a guy named Matt Greetham. He was an awesome dude. He was very smart. He was very intelligent. He loved to stay in the library. He studied a lot. His goal in life in that college was to do well because he wanted to go to a master's program. And he didn't want to go. He wanted to go on a full scholarship. And so he had to keep his grades up to a certain point. I realized that within the first two weeks. And I intentionally connected myself with him because I knew that if I connected myself with him, and that became the unifying factor in our friendship and our relationship, that we both wanted to do well in school, that if I connected myself with him, that, that what would be produced over time out of that relationship and that unifying factor would be what? Good study habits, time in the library, eventually good grades, and so on and so forth. And I carried that on for three or two and a half to three years. And then I disconnected myself from him, not intentionally. I disconnected myself from him. I came, became connected with another group of people and their values. They didn't value school. They didn't value grades. And so the decisions that made and what was important to them went a different direction. And in time, I saw a decrease in my GPA. Does that make sense? All right, we do this in every single area of our life. This is a principle that exists in your life day in and day out, whether you're conscious about it or you're not, or you're verbal about it or you're not, or you're intentional about it or not. And here's the point I want to make to you, and it's not going to be up there. The point I want to make to you is this, is that every single one of us are going somewhere in this life, right? Some of us are going to get there on purpose, and some of us are just going to get there. And you really don't know where you're headed. You really don't know where you're going. And some of us at times don't care. And my point to you this morning is that who you spend life with, which was the first slide that we skipped over, who you spend life with, what we learned last week, highly affects who you become, the direction you go, and what you accomplish in this life. All right, before I get into the Word, I want to I say one more thing. This is another thing you just need to write down and just need to, in the brain of your head, just get this in your heart. It is the direction, not intention, that leads to destination. It is direction, not intention, that leads to destination. You want to go to Florida to experience the beautiful hot sun before the horrible winter comes. I hate winter. 
and it's coming. It was 45 degrees where I was Friday night. It's miserable. You want to go to Florida, you pull out on 77, and you go north. What are the odds you're going to make it to Florida? No, seriously, throw some odds out there. Like one in a million? Zero in a million. Why? It doesn't matter what you intended to do. Doesn't matter what you intended to do. When you got to 77, your intention was to go to Florida. You went north. Guess where you're going? You're going north. I'll tell you a little funny story. I was in college freshman year. Hadn't really, you know, met a lot of people. It was in the first few weeks. I do all those awkward icebreaker things in college. You all get in a room and, and you, the pop-up game and all the hate stupid games like that. And like, and you just, they're trying to get you connected to people. And, and so out of this, out of one of these little weird, awkward sessions, we, uh, there was a group of people who said, hey, you know what? Friday night, let's go, let's go to the movies. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's go to the movies. You know, I like having friends. Let's go. Let's do that. Friday night, we'll meet you over here in this parking lot, and, and we'll go to the movies. Well, here, here's the problem with that. There was about 200 kids there that day in that one awkward little game make friends session, and a lot of people did that. A lot of people said, you know what, tomorrow night, let's go hang out, because they encourage everybody to do that. Tomorrow night, let's go hang out. Let's go do this, or let's go do that. So I show up on Friday night. There were multiple groups of people, and I didn't remember everybody. I thought I remembered just one person, so I went into the group. I started talking, started hanging out, became friends. We got in the car. We were off to the mountains. <laughs> I wasn't super familiar with the area because I just gotten back. I just got into Cleveland. We get in the car we're on our way, and I'm going, man, is, we're going, like, is there a movie theater out here in, in the mountains? About 45 minutes, and the lady goes, what are you talking about? What movie theater? I was like, oh, I thought we were going to the movies. No, we're going to the mountains. Oh, okay. You get a text from the group I was supposed to go with. Sorry you couldn't make it. We're at the movies enjoying ourselves. I went to the mountains. <laughs> Hung out, had a bonfire, wound up being a really cool thing. Here's the idea. Here, here's the point of the story is that I didn't check to see where everybody was going. You know what I mean? I just made some connections. I didn't ask to see. I didn't ask to say, well, what direction are you guys going? Where, where are you going tonight? You know, are you going to the movies? Are you going to the mountains? Nobody really talks like that, but you know what I'm saying. I didn't know it. I got in the car not knowing where they were going. They had full intentions of going a completely different direction than me. But I got in the car and I didn't make it known the direction I was going or the direction, make them say the direction they were going. And I wound up going to have a night in the mountains with people that I had not actually met before then. I don't know how awkward that was for them. It wasn't awkward for me. I enjoyed it. I had a good friend come out of that, actually. So here's my point, is that in life, You've got to come to a place where you are not afraid or you are intentional of making sure you know the direction of the people around you are going before you get in the car of life and go. Because if you're not careful, and this gets back to the tipping point, if you're not careful, you're going to make some connections, you're going to make some bonds, you're going to get in the car, and you're going to start driving. And at that point, it doesn't matter what your intentions are. After, after so many months, after so many years, there's a culture, there's an environment that is created, and if everybody in your car is headed a different direction than the one you want to go, in time, you will absolutely 100% go the direction that everybody else is going. That's why Solomon says you walk with the wise, you grow wise, companion of fools, you suffer harm. And so what I want to tell you this morning is that you not only can be intentional about who you hang out with, right, but you need to be intentional about who you hang out with. You need to be intentional about who you connect with. You need to know in your heart where you want to go in life and where the people you're connected to, where they want to go in life. 
Because if where you want to go in life and where they want to go in life are two different things, it's only a matter of time before you're going a different direction than the one that you wanted to go. So for just a few minutes, I just want to share with you a few things that I see in Scripture about true, biblical, powerful friendships and relationships that you need to think about when you start to connect yourself with people in this life and you start to connect yourself with friends and you start to do life together. There was a man named David. He was king. He's kind of famous. Jesus Christ was a direct descendant of this great king. King David was one of the most blessed men on the planet Um, And one of the things that God blessed him with the most was true friends over and over and over. And one of the first people that David connected himself with or that God connected David with was Samuel. David chose to stay connected to Samuel until Samuel died. Another person was Jonathan, who was the son of Saul. We'll talk about him in a few minutes. Another one was Nathan. Uh, He had a few generals um, that were just became a huge factor in his life. David was very intentional about who he hung out with, who he connected himself with. Unlike a lot of the other kings that, that came after him, who didn't connect themselves, they were very intentional about who they connected themselves with, but they connect themselves with all kinds of evil people, all kinds of foolish people, all kinds of, and their kingdom showed for it. All right, and what I want to do just for a few minutes, I want to tell you four things right, that matter when you're thinking about friendships, when you're thinking about relationships, because I know, and I'm trying to do everything in my power so that when we leave here today, we understand It matters who we connect ourselves with, and it matters not just who we connect ourselves with, but the direction of the people we connect ourselves with, the direction they're going in their life. This is number one. This is Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. This situation right here, David, uh, when he was a young teenager, we think he was a young teenager, uh, when Samuel came to David and anointed him king over Israel at a young age, uh, the problem was is that Saul was already king and God was going to remove Saul and then replace Saul with David. And then David started uh, his life. Then David did the small thing. He killed a giant, became super famous, waged war on the Philistines, killed them all. It's kind of a cool thing. And then Saul realized that David was, in fact, probably going to wind up being king. And then Saul started to go after David. He started to become very jealous of David and envious of David. And he went after him. He started to take his army and go after to kill David. Now, this is where David is. Right now, David is in the desert. And David has just found out that Saul is bringing a large army out to kill David. And David is terrified, and he's worried, and he's crying. He's being a big baby, and he's sitting in the desert whining about life. And his buddy Jonathan, who's at the palace, which is actually Saul's son, says, I'm going to go to my friend David. Earlier, they meet in a different set of circumstances, and they they connect themselves together, and it says that their souls were knit together. These are the people they chose to do life with. This wasn't just acquaintances. This wasn't just friends. This wasn't just people around. These are two people who knit their souls together, who said, I'm going to do life with you, and you're going to do life with me. These are the connections that I'm talking about. And Jonathan leaves the palace, and this is where it starts. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. All right, and this, is, this is something that is, is so imperative to your walk with God and to your life with God and to your relationship with God. You need people in your life. You need to connect yourself to people in your life who will add value to your faith in Jesus Christ, who will add value to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Jonathan could have come out and said a hundred different things. He could have come out and said, you know what, David, I just want you to know, I know you already know, but Saul's coming, my dad's coming, he's got a really big army, and he's going to kill you, so you need to run away. 
You need to just leave. You just need to give up hope about being that king thing. And you just need to take off. You just need to go. You just need to leave because he's coming. He could have said, you know what, David? You just, need to, you just need to man up. You need to get your army. You need to get together. You need to strategize. You need to go after Saul. You need to take him down. You need to put him in prison and maybe even kill him because he's evil and he's coming to get you. He could have said, you know what, David, you need to go align with the Philistines because this was something that was suggested. You need to go go to the enemy. You need to align with them. You need to let them protect you. You need to go over there. You need to depend on that. You need to go that direction. There was a hundred things that Jonathan could have came and said that made a lot of sense. But when he came, he left the palace. He went to the desert. He found David, and it said that he helped him find strength in God. It said he helped him find strength in God. You need people in your life that will add value to your faith and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because here's a fact, and you all know this. You know that you have these desert moments, right? You know that you have these moments of weakness. You know that you have these moments when the whole world's pouring down. Everything's going bad. Everything, it seems like I can't do anything right. I'm, you know, other times you're on the mountain and you're happy and you're flying and you're walking on water and everything's great and everything's gravy and everything's awesome and you're loo 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 loo. But there's sometimes right, when things don't go well, when things get bad, and you find yourself in a place in your life when you're ready to give up, when you're ready to walk away, when you're ready to go a different direction, when you're ready to just sign the divorce papers, when you're ready just to give up, when you're ready just to quit the business, when you're ready just to walk. There's just some, there come times in life. All right, where things get difficult and things get rough. And it is more imperative and more important in those times in your life when things start to go wrong and you maybe even start to walk away from the faith or you start to walk away from your calling or you start to walk away from what you know that God wants you to do or you start to, start to have the idea, you know what, I could just leave my family. It would just be the easy decision. That would be the easy way out. I could just do that. I could just go that direction. You know what, I could just leave. I know God wants me to go this way, but I could just walk away. I could just go a different, I could just, I could just do something else. You need somebody with some guts to show up in your life no matter where it is you are and tell you you don't need the Philistine army, you don't need some strategist, you don't need war, you don't need might, you need the hand of the living God in your life right now. All right? You don't need a thousand dollar an hour counselor, you don't need a good lawyer, you need Jesus Christ. All right? You need the word of God, you need your faith in Jesus Christ. I know that there's a hundred other things that may make sense in this situation. I know there are a hundred other things that you could do in this job or you could do at school or you could do in this college or you could do in whatever situation you're in, but you need people in your life that are going to show up and say no matter what you're going through or what's happening, you need your faith to be strong in Jesus Christ because God said he's never going to forsake you. He said he's never going to leave you. He's called you to do what you're supposed to do and that's what you're going to do and you need to just calm down, stop whining, put your faith in dependency back in Jesus Christ. Let's face up and do this thing, and then life will go on. Right, that's what we need in our life. we got to be intentional about that. Because I have times in my life, I'm telling you right now, I know I've mentioned it before, but you talk about, you're talking about me wanting to just take off in a dark hole, going through this first part of this construction project, dealing with the beautiful, nice, amazing, demonic county. That, like It was just one of these things that just drove me outside of my mind. 
It put me in a place because I'm sitting here, I'm leading this church, and I'm making these decisions, and we're about to invest all this money, and it seemed like around every single corner, someone was just punching me square in the face. That's just what I felt like, and I got into a place, man, I had two people who showed up, and every single time I was there, they knew me. They showed up in my life, and they said, you know what? You just got to keep going. You know what? You got to keep your faith in Christ. God didn't bring us this far to shut us down. God didn't bring us this far to shut us down. I wasn't about to resign or anything like that. I was about to go lay down in the middle of the road, though, and just wait and see what happens. All right, But that, that's just one of those things. You need those people in your life because if you're hanging out in the desert long enough and nobody comes, right, you may never make it back. Right, and you don't, you don't need friends in your life that are great and popular and success by the world's standards. You need people in your life that are going to make the sacrifice to come find you where you are and say, the one thing you need right now in this moment is your faith in Jesus Christ. Do you have that in the relationships that you have in this life? Do you even care? Number two, this next thing Jonathan says, and he says, and on top of that, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. You have to understand the dynamics to get the magnitude of this statement from Jonathan. First off, Jonathan was supposed to be the next king over Israel, not David. Saul, his father, was king at the moment. But Jonathan knew in his heart and his mind, Jonathan was a very godly man. And he knew God's will for David's life. He knew God's will for his own life. And he knew the error and the, and the horrible, sinful life that Saul was leading. And he knew what Samuel said about David's life. He knew who David was in God. And so he comes out to the desert. He helps him find strength in God. And then he slaps him across the face. In my opinion, I don't know, I wasn't there. He says, David, shut up, man. Don't be afraid. Why are you, why are you even here? Don't you understand that my father will not lay a hand on you? Don't you get it that you are the king, that you will be the king? And that I will be second to you? Don't you understand that this is what God has for you? Don't you get that this is God's purpose for your life? Don't you understand? Saul even knows it. I know it. Saul knows it. Your army knows it. And the people of Israel know it. You're the only one that acts like you're not going to be king. You're the only one acting like what God said isn't going to come true. In my mind, he's just saying, shut up. Shape up. Because God said you're going to be king. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances are right now. It doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in. It doesn't matter how big my father's army is. None of that junk matters. What matters is that I know God's will for your life is far greater than what your circumstances, your situations are right now. And I am telling you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Shape up because you will be king. We got to connect ourselves to friends who are going to push us to pursue our purpose in Jesus Christ. We've got to intentionally connect ourselves to people who are not going to let us fall off the path and go a different direction. In my opinion, 
This is why I think that Jonathan left. There's little context clues in Scripture. I didn't just come to that on my own. I really believe, I really believe this is why Jonathan left the palace. I really believe this is why. I don't think Jonathan was afraid that Saul was going to kill him. That's not what it was. He didn't come to warn David. David already knew. He knew that David already knew. I don't think he was afraid for David. I don't think he was afraid that that any harm would come to him. What I think Jonathan was afraid of, I think that Jonathan was afraid that David would walk away. That's what I think. That's just my opinion, but that's what I think. I think that Jonathan sat up there, and he looked at the situation, and he looked at the circumstance. He saw that Saul was going out, and he knew in his heart if there was going to be a time that David would walk away from his calling, if there was going to be a time that David would walk away from what God wants him to do in this life, if there's going to be a time that David's going to run, it's going to be right now. And I know that those thugs and those gangsters that he's out there in the desert with, which is true, aren't going to tell him any different. And I feel like I need to go out there to my friend, to somebody I've chose to do life with, and tell them, do not be afraid. Do not run. Harm will not come to you. Saul will not win. I know it, and even Saul knows it. You need people in your life who will push you, who will yell at you, all right, who will do everything in their power push you towards Christ and to what God wants to do in your life. You see, you, you connect yourself to people who don't care. We talked about last week. You connect yourself to people who don't care what God's will is. You connect yourself to people who don't care what God wants them to do in this life. You connect yourself to people who it's just not, it's not important to them. All right, in a situation like this, if you say, I'm thinking about running away from what God wants me to do, Set some margaritas up on the way, dude. Let's go, man. Let's, go, let's ride by a little, let's rob that village down there, get us some moolah, head into Philistine town, enjoy some life. When they don't care, man, they don't care. If they don't care about what God wants to do in their life, they absolutely don't care what God wants to do in your life. You would be a fool to think so, to connect yourself with somebody who doesn't care. But David didn't do that. David made an alliance. David made a connection. David chose to do life with Jonathan. And in his moment of need, in his moment of fear, in the desert moment of his life, when it seemed like everything was crashing around, Jonathan showed up to remind him and to push him and tell him, dude, you are going to be king. I need that in my life. You need that in your life. Dads, you need somebody, when you start to act like a fool, when you start to hang out with somebody you shouldn't hang out with, you start to walk away, you start to work too much, you start to go your direction, you need somebody in your life that comes back and reminds you, it's not about money, it's not about business, it's not about this, it's not about that, it's about your wife, it's about your family, it's about your kids, it's about your church, it's about what God wants to do in your life. You don't need people in your life that are going to say, save me a seat on the way. That's not what you need. You need people who will push you to your purpose in Jesus Christ. David had another friend. His name was Nathan. Nathan was a prophet of God. David stayed close to Nathan. Nathan stayed close to David. These are definitely two people who chose to do life together. David got himself into a little bit of trouble. He was hanging out on top of a roof one day uh, watching a beautiful lady take a bath. Kind of creepy, a little bit. But he's the king, so he can do whatever he wants, so he thought. So instead of just walking back inside and going, she was beautiful, 
He stayed out on the roof. He watched her. He lusted after her. And then he took her out on a date. You can't really say no to the king. Made sure her husband was out at war. She was married, by the way. Slept with her. Committed adultery. She got pregnant. He tried to manipulate the situation so that her husband Uriah would think that it was his and sent her home and brought him home for more early. And Uriah said, I'm not going to do that thing that makes babies. Your kids need to be in there. Kids ministry. This is adult ministry. Uriah goes back to war. David doesn't know what to do. David freaks out. It's not going to be too long before she starts showing. And in the panic of this situation, he has her husband murdered and killed. King David. And he goes on about life. Until one night, Nathan, his friend, the prophet, shows up, gives him this analogy. says, David, i got to tell you something, man. There's been this travesty over here in, in your kingdom. You know, there's a man, and he, he killed, you know, some innocent things. He uses sheep, and he goes through the story, and it enrages David. Nathan says, what should we do, king? What should we do, David? He says, you bring me the one who took innocent life, and I will take his own right now. And then Nathan stops and says, David, you are the man in the story. You are the evil one. You are the one who took the life of the innocent. You are the one who sinned against God. He makes a statement right here. He says, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. I'm going to tell you something right now. We don't really get this in our day and age because we're, we live in a democracy, and, and we got a little bit of freedom of speech, and we can kind of say what we want to say. You walk into the king's chambers, and you accuse him of adultery, murder, and great sin, he has all the legal right to chop your head off right then and there. And I think any other situation, any other king, that's exactly what would have happened. Nathan risked his own life to come to his friend and to tell him the error of his ways. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid to hold him accountable. He wasn't afraid of what he was thinking. He wasn't afraid of what, oh, well, David may not accept me. David may not accept me as the prophet anymore. David may, he may even take my life. David may not like me anymore. He said, you know what? I love God, and I love David. And if David doesn't change this, if David doesn't make this right, if David doesn't turn and repent, I know that some horrible things are going to come to this nation, and some horrible things are going to come to David's life. And he threw the risk out the window, and he said, I don't care if he kills me. I don't care if he takes me from my position. I don't care if he turns his back on me. I don't care if he exiles me out. I'm going to do what I have to do because of my love for God and my love for him. I'm going to hold him accountable for what he has done, not just for judgment's sake, but for his own good and for his own purpose. We need people like that in our lives. We need to connect ourselves to people who are not afraid, like to hold us accountable in this life. On the next slide. Connect with friends who care enough to hold you accountable. See, this is something, it's a dumb little situation to me anyway. I was in college. I don't know if anybody's ever played sports with me. There's a reason I don't play sports with most of you, because I want you to love me. I played uh, intramural sports in, in college. Everybody know our new associate pastor, Joseph Antley? He's a cool guy. Give him a hand. He's a cool guy. Yeah, love him. 
me and him, uh, we, I didn't really like him much in college, to be honest with you. No, I'm kidding. I, didn't. I, I loved him. We weren't really friends. I think sometimes people think maybe we were friends. We really weren't friends. We had mutual respect. We knew each other. We were in totally different uh, clubs and sectors, and, and, and we came together you know, later on. I had a huge respect for him. And I think maybe he had some respect for me. I don't know. But we, we, kinda, we weren't like best friends, but we knew each other, um, and we, I think we had some mutual respect for each other. And and he was, uh, he was a leader on campus, and I was a leader on campus. And it was just one of those cool, you know, little relationships we had. So one day, I'm playing flag football, and um, it's a really tight game. And uh, this guy starts taking some cheap shots at me. And I, I warned him, fair and square, you keep hitting me, I'm going to hit you back. A lot harder than you're hitting me. I know, it's stupid. Fighting's not cool. I get that. Somebody's going to get in a fight this week. And, well, Jordan fought. And I'm going to get an email. Listen, don't be stupid. I'm telling you, this is bad. Well, this guy keeps pushing me, keeps pushing me, keeps pushing me. Finally, I just knocked him out. I just like, I just knocked him out. I, cold. It was, it was bad. We fought. We rolled around. He lost. I won. And we move on in life. A few hours later, I get a phone call from my buddy Joseph. He said, hey, what's going on, man? I was like, what's up, man? Just won a game. Won a fight. It was awesome. And he said, let me tell you something, Jordan. He said, all those guys came back to the, to the dorm. He said, all right. He said, all those guys came back to the dorm. They're running their mouth about you. And they're running their mouth about the club. They're running your mouth about the leaders. They're calling you hypocrites. And, they're going, and he was going on and on. He said, you know what? He said, you represent something a lot bigger than yourself. I remember him saying that. It was like somebody punched me in the stomach. It was really hurt. And uh, he said, you represent somebody. You represent all of us, all the leaders on campus, all the clubs, he said, and I said, you know what, Joseph, you know, they're running their mouth. We, we brought this up yesterday. So I reminded me of this story. And I, and I said, you know what, dude? I said, they're running their mouth. And I mean, he kept touching me. It was fair and square. I warned him. And he said, you're held to a higher standard, dude. You're held to a higher standard than they are. And it was just, you know what? And I listened. I heard him. I didn't like it. But I heard him. I accepted it. And I actually made sure that it never happened again based off that conversation. Now, we weren't the best of friends back then. We knew each other, mutual respect for each other. But he was not afraid to call me and hold me accountable for a very wrong thing that I did. That takes guts. That takes guts to do that with somebody. Those are the people that you need in your life. Those are the people that aren't afraid what you think of them aren't afraid if you cut them off, aren't afraid if you go, that you need people in your life that care enough about you and care enough about what God wants to do in your life to hold you accountable for the stupid things you do and to steer you away from the stupid things you're about to do. That's the people you need in your life. You don't need people in your life that are just going to laugh as you ruin yours. You don't need people in your life that are just going to hold your hand through some of the dumbest decisions. You need people that are going to turn you around, slap you across the face, and say, you are about to ruin your life. Stop it. What you are engaging in is wrong. This person you're about to date is horrible for you. Don't do it. We need people like that in our lives. We need people with guts. We need people that know the Lord. We need people that are filled with the Spirit, that know the Word, and are not afraid to hold us accountable in this life. Because of what Nathan did with David, David turned from his wicked ways. He repented. He made it as right as he could. He went through the consequences of it, and he still wound up pursuing and becoming one of the greatest kings that we've ever seen. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what would have happened to David if Nathan had not walked into his room that night and held him accountable for what he had done and gave him direction 
for the future. We need people like that in our life. All of us are going to go somewhere in life. Some of us are going to get their own purpose. We need to be intentional about who we connect ourselves with. Justin, you go ahead and come play. You go ahead and go to the next slide. Going back to Jonathan and David's conversation, this is something that I just find unique. It says, the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, and David stayed in Horesh. This is something that was very, uh, can, very normal back in the day. We don't really make covenants anymore today. When's the last time you went and made a covenant with someone? Anybody? No? Okay, we don't. This is something that we need in our society. I'm telling you, this is something we need. Because a covenant is an intentional alliance. That's all that means. It's an intentional alliance based off factors. Like God made a covenant with Israel. If you follow my ways, you follow me, you come after me, you obey my commandments, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. It's a covenant. Leaders made it all the time. Friends made it. Kings made it. Generals made it. Soldiers made it. People made it. Everybody, they, they made intentional covenants. And this one in particular, so the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. I think one of the things that we need in our life, all right, is to make true, intentional, conscious covenants and alliances, all right, with the people around us, intentionally knowing what that unifying factor is. Remember the unifying factor? See, because here's the deal. You're connected with a lot of people, and the unifying factor is not what it needs to be. I think this right here. I think we need to intentionally make an alliance with friends where Jesus Christ is the foundational unifying factor in your relationship. I don't care what the unifying factor in your relationship is. I don't care. I don't care what it is. I don't care what that foundational, that primal, that, that, uh, that premier, that best, that first, that, that thing that unifies you to whoever it is that you're unified to, that unifying factor. I don't care what it is. If the foundational unifying factor in that relationship is not Jesus Christ, I can make one thing very clear to you. There will be fallout from that relationship. There will be fallout from that relationship. If what connects you and what unites you as a friendship or as a relationship, as an alliance, is anything other than Jesus Christ, then the culture that you will create in that friendship and in that relationship will not be Christ-centered. And then you will begin to live in a Christ, anti-Christ-centered relationship or culture. Does that make sense? When you start to connect yourself with people, you start to connect your, your best friends and you start to go in this direction and, and Christ is not a part of it, and you, you may even go to church with them. I, I, don't, I really don't care if you go to church or not. I really don't. 70, 80% of people go to, uh, say that they're Christians and they go to church. That is, say it with your mouth, worthless, okay? Worthless. You know whether or not somebody in your life or the people around you or you yourself, if truly the foundation of your life is Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying is, is that you need to connect yourself with people. All right? And when you, when you align with them, when you make the covenant, when you say, I want to be friends with you, I want to be in relationship with you, I want to be in community with you, you need to know all right, what the foundation of their life is. 
Because if the foundation of their life isn't Jesus Christ and that unifying factor, that foundational unifying factor between you and that person isn't Jesus Christ and it's anything else, the culture that will be created out of that relationship won't be Christ-centered and there will be fallout from that relationship. You need to know who you're about to get in the car with. It needs to matter to you who you're about to make the life, the journey of life with. It it needs to matter who you're about to spend high school with. It needs to matter to you who you're about to spend college with. It needs to matter who you hang out on the weekends with. It needs to matter to you who you raise your children with. It needs to matter. Because there's a lot of you in this room right now, and I've been here a lot in my life. You connect yourself to people, and whether or not Jesus Christ or or the will of God or the promises of God or the purpose of God or the word of God or the spirit of God means nothing to them. It means nothing to you. You don't care. You just connect for whatever reason, and then you find yourself involved in these friendships and these cultures and these relationships where nobody cares about Jesus and nobody cares what God wants and nobody cares what God wants to do, and you find yourself going to church on Sunday, but the culture of your life is leading you down a path that will lead you to a direction where Christ won't be there. You've got to understand this. You've got to get this, especially the younger people who still have a chance to not make foolish decisions and not have to face the consequences. You need to understand who you align yourself with, who you get into an alliance with in this life. It matters. It matters. Here's what I'm saying to you. Everybody in this room, you need to have a Joshua moment with the people in your life. I don't care if it's your family. I don't care if it's your cousins. I don't care if it's your best friend. Well, we grew up together. I don't care. I don't care. We go to school together. I don't care. Well, we go to church together. I don't care. You need to have this Joshua moment. Here's what a Joshua moment is. Joshua, they cross the river and they get into the land of Canaan and they're about to pursue the purpose in God. They're about to go and they're about to chase it. And, and all of the people are still whining and they're complaining. And some of them, even at that moment, want to go back to Egypt. Even at that moment, want to go, we'll just live in the desert right here next to the river. We'll still be able to grow our stuff. We'll be able to survive. We'll be able to live. It'll be fine. We can enjoy it. Another group wanted to go here. They had all these different idols and all these different gods. And finally, Joshua comes before all the people and he makes the famous statement. So me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But he prefaces it with this right here. Let me tell you all something. You want to serve the God of Egypt? You want to go back to Egypt? Go. You want to serve the idols of the gods right there across the Euphrates? Then you go. You go do that thing. You want to stay here in the desert and live your life and die and not pursue the, the will of God? Then you go and you do that thing. He says, but for me and my house, all right, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to get our army, we're going to get our people, we're going to stay faithful to God, and we're going to head into Canaan, and we're going to go to war, and we're going to find out what God has planned of us, or we're going to die trying. And for the rest of you, you want to chase the dream, you want to go, you want to live for money, you go live for money. You want want the end all be all to be the success of your business, then you go and chase that. You want to succeed in your hobbies, you go chase that. You want to to have a big house and a big car and that's what happiness is to you, that's fine, you go chase that. You want to learn about philosophy of the world and all the different religions and the doctrines and you go and you go chase that. But for me and my house, the foundation of my life is going to be Jesus Christ. And what's going to be important to me is my family and my kids and my church and what God wants to do. 
this house and in this place. And if you want to spend the rest of your life chasing whatever it is you want to chase, you go do that. That's fine. Send me a postcard. But I'll be in the promised land chasing the will of God. And I will not let anybody, nobody, no one slow me down on my way to be who God wants me to be. Some of you need to grow up get some guts and have a conversation with people and say, my wife, my husband, my family, my marriage, my kids, my church, the will of God, the cross, the gospel, Jesus Christ means too much to me and I'm not going to let you get in the car and I'm not going to let you take me a different direction. It matters. I've seen too many friends. I've seen too many people. I've seen too many marriages go down the drain. I've seen too many lives hit 50 and 60 and look back and regret everything. My purpose in this life is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my secondary purpose is to do everything on my power so that you don't waste your life. And I'm telling you right now some of the friends, some of the cultures that you're creating with the relationships in your life, it's going to take you out. And you're going to be 40, you're going to be 50, you're going to be 70, you're going to be laying on your deathbed, and you're going to look back at your life, and you're going to say, how did I get here? And it's going to start it because you got in the car with somebody going a different direction than what you intended to go. 50 years went by, and everything changed. I am so intentional about who I align my life with. And if you cared at all about your marriage, about your kids, about your future in God, you wouldn't have a problem making the cuts that some of you in this very moment know that you need to make. Friendship matters. It matters to Solomon. It matters to Paul. Matters to God, matters to Joshua. If you guys will stand with me. I pray, Lord God, right now that you just let your spirit rest in this house, God. I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your presence rest in this house, Father. I pray, Father, that you will just fill every single person with your just immense love and your spirit. I pray, Father God, we don't, we don't, for the most part, Father, we don't really understand the power of the friends and the relationships in our life. We don't see that it takes us to places we never thought we would go and we stay way longer than we thought we would. I pray, Father God, right now that you will move in the hearts and the minds of the people, God. I pray, Lord, that they will become intentional about who they align themselves with in this life. That they will become intentional about who they date. They will become intentional about who they marry. They will become intentional about who they spend the weekend with. They will become intentional about who they do life with. And I pray, Lord God, right now, there's everybody in this room has probably got a few people they need to have this Joshua conversation with. Listen, you want to go that direction, that's great, but I'm going this direction. You want to to go live that way, that's great, but I'm going to serve the Lord. I pray, Father, that if there's anybody in this room that's going to take that step this week or next week, Father God, that you just be with them and you give them strength and you give them courage. 
And I pray, Lord, for the young people, God. I pray that if there's anybody that gets this message, that it's the young people, Father. That they get intentional about who they spend their time with. They get intentional, Father, because their future is so bright. I pray, Lord, that you align them together, Father God. Make the the teens and the students in this church just a, a force to be reckoned with, God. Let them unite together, Father God, under the banner of Jesus Christ with the foundation. I pray, Lord, right now that you'll just move in the life of the students, God. I pray, Lord, for the life groups, God. I pray that you will just let a unity come to our life groups, Lord, that we've never seen before, God. I pray, Father, that if there's anybody that's going to start trying life groups out, Lord, that they'll just get connected, God, to a group, Father. I pray, Lord, that you'll just bring, just bring a foundation, God, of life and community to this church, God. Let us connect ourselves with each other, Lord. Let us make the foundation of our relationships, the foundation of our connections, you, Father. Father, I thank you, Lord, for all you've done in this house, God. And I pray, Father. You will raise us up, God. You will will let us know that we are a family. And we're not all going to be best friends with each other. We may not even know everybody's name, Lord God. But that I pray, Lord, that out of this group, out of this, this church family, Lord God, that every person can find at least one person, God, to connect themselves to, to align with, Father, to do life with. I pray, Father, that you will move in this way, God. In your holy and your precious name, amen.